Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello, welcome to the Football and Feelings podcast. Uh, not much football chat today, really. Um, but I got to speak to the ever so charming Jake Tyler, who circumnavigated the UK a few years ago on foot, um, not only to improve his own mental health, uh, but to spread awareness as well. He went on to do a TEDx talk, uh, which done very well online, uh, and he knows it as well, he knows it. Um, and also was a Mind Over Marathon, a BBC One documentary uh, a few years ago, which was endorsed by the Royals, I do believe. Um, yeah, but a really fun episode. I'll post his social media links in the description uh, as well as ours. So give us a follow um, and give us a rating as well. If you're listening on Apple, um, let us know what you think. Cheers. Okay, so obviously due to the coronavirus, tensions have been pretty high mm, for everyone. Yeah, There's a lot of anxiety. How long are we going to be locked down for? What will humanity be like uh, after all this is over? Will this finally be the thing that gets Oasis back together? I mean, no one really knows. But um, <laughs> but how how are you coping? How are you getting on? I'm all right, mate. I've, it's um, it could be a lot worse. I'm at my girlfriend's mum's place near Derby, and uh, it's on a very middle class estate with a nice big garden. Um, and there's an Aldi mm. ten minutes walk away, so I'm laughing. <laughs> it's um it's boring it's really boring um i'm not i mean i used to be the kind of person that could just sit around and do nothing all the time but like the last couple of years i've i've tried to become more of a um i don't know just be a bit more proactive with my time i guess and now just, just mm. when i was getting into the sweet spot of that i've been thrown back into laziness um, but no, I mean, yeah, because this honest, cut, a, cut a trip short, didn't it? Yeah, it, it cut my trip short. So I was in um, Cambodia for a couple of months and then uh, Malaysia for a couple of months just with my girlfriend. And yeah, we, we were really enjoying it out there, actually. Really sort of taking our time, you know, not not trying to dot around and see as a, you know, a million different places in a short space of time. You know, we, we really wanted to drinking the culture and the country we were in so we spent yeah two months in each country rather than going all around asia and the plan was to carry on doing that until the money ran out but obviously this whole thing happened and then you know we came back and like shit we've only seen two countries but you know it, it's the, the, the thing is that i think everyone has to remember is that you know everyone's hands been forced here everyone's plans have had to take a back seat and um you know, this was never part of our plan. You know, the the travel plan has a pin in it at the moment, and the new plan is ride out the current situation, which um, which everyone's doing. So, and and my situation could could be far worse, and I'm sure there's, well, I know there's many many people who've got it a lot worse than I have. Yeah. So you were in Kuala Lumpur when you had to when you had to come home, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which was yeah. Which, what was the situation like there? It was fine until 
I mean, it, it seemed like, you know, because we were keeping abreast of what was happening back here. And um, it actually seemed like things were kicking off worse here, like the, the amount of cases and deaths and just general panic amongst the population. Um, and and in, in Malaysia, it all seemed very sort of business as usual. Everyone was just, there wasn't an awful lot to talk about it. We were, we were you know, keeping the rest of the news there as well, obviously. But basically, while we were in Kuala Lumpur, there was this big religious event at one of the mosques and there's about 16,000 people in the congregation and that's where that's how coronavirus made Malaysia the number two wow. country in Kuala Lumpur at that time we were there so basically you know you've got 16,000 people who came from all over the country to this this big Muslim event and then once the event was over they just dispersed around the country and basically the government had to find had to track down basically everyone who went there and they found out that about 700 people in there had coronavirus and it's just swimming around this 16 20,000 people <laughs> congregation yeah and and now Malaysia's the second biggest hit place in in the far east so um that all happened while we were in Kuala Lumpur so we went from it being really you know, <clears throat> seeing the country how it is to to all of a sudden overnight, they they put in a movement control order. We got kicked out of our hotel at an hour's notice. You know, we, we got all set up and everything, and then we got a knock on the door saying, you've got to get out, everything's closed. <clears throat> so we instinctively went to the airport just to see, just, I don't know why, just, we didn't want to go, obviously, but we wanted to see, like, what was happening there. So we, we slept in the airport overnight. And thought about it the next day and thought, okay, if there's anywhere still open, any, any guest houses or anything, let's stay there and see what happens. So we stayed somewhere for a couple of nights. But in the end, you know, the, the streets just cleared. I mean, Kuala Lumpur is, is a really vibrant city. And mm. and in those in those two days, we saw it turn into, you know, sort of a post-apocalyptic scene, you know. And the thing is, that's kind of how it's turned into over here but we have the luxury and the privilege of being citizens of this country here whereas over there you know we didn't have you know if things got sticky or ugly then we, we would have had, wouldn't have had anyone to have our backs or anything would we so um mm -hmm. with a heavy heart we had to cut the cut the trip short and it was actually quite interesting to see what's been happening in the world developing two in two different countries you know in the in malaysia people seem to be a lot more compliant um with what the government was requesting whereas over here i think there's a little bit more entitlement and a little bit more well you know why should i so it's been yeah it's been interesting to see how how both sort of play out really <clears throat> yeah, yeah it's, it's been an awful time. lot of uh, a time oh no yeah there's been an awful lot of uh coronavirus can't stop me doing what i want to do over here that's yeah sort of, i know that sort of vibe. very irresponsible and i tell you what as well actually you know there, there are people who are um literally starving to death no no there's literally people who are in council flats and you know all all bunched in you know five or six in a flat who don't have any outside area who don't who have been told to stay inside and these people actually do need you know time outside etc and you've got the people who who are just entitled and who just want do yeah who don't want the coronavirus to stop their them being social and everything kind of kind of ruining it for the people who actually need some outdoor space like in london they've closed hyde park and they've closed a few of the big parks and stuff because because certain people are going out and flaunting the you know 
and disobeying disobeying the rules, which which messes it up for for people who actually really need an outdoor space. People who've been cooped up in a tiny space for weeks and weeks on end. You know, it's it's a, it's an immensely complex situation with lots of moving parts. And um, you know, thank God we've got social media for everyone to have an opinion on it all. Because where would we be without all that? Eh? Exactly. I mean, it's just such a great thing that everyone has an equally valid opinion. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I absolutely I the, love it. The mums of WhatsApp University have been out in full force as well, <laughs> um, spreading all the rumours possible. Yeah. <laughs> also, I would just like to add uh, for the listener, I didn't chuckle. <laughs> I didn't chuckle then because we were talking about people starving. That was a, There was a David Brentism in there. Um, just wanted to point oh, yeah, that out, yeah, full yeah. disclosure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, it was it was a similar situation for me. I was studying in a in Budapest actually at the time mm. when this all kicked off. Um, I was only there for like six weeks before I came mm. home, uh, and yeah, it was almost overnight. It went from from, from one day uh, my university was going to be open as normal, everyone was going to be staying, mm. and then the next day, no government have changed it. No one's out uh, allowed out past a certain time. Um, elderly people at the were like. They were allowed to go shopping before 12 and, and yeah, yeah. And they were told to stay inside if not. So yeah, yeah, unbelievably quick. It's crazy. It's a crazy, crazy time. And weirdly, you know, if, if you are, I mean, as I said, I've, I've got, I've got it pretty tucked up here. You know, I mean, a, in a sort of relatively sort of middle-class environment with a garden and, and it's a quiet neighborhood and everything. And the weather's nice. And yeah. so when you're, when you're sitting in the garden, it's, it's like the, the scale of, of what this is can, can elude you at times. Because it is huge, obviously. It's, this is, a, this is a, a huge event in, in human history, in modern, modern human history. But because buildings aren't on fire and because there isn't people screaming in the street and stuff, if you are just sitting in the garden and just letting the time go by, it's very mm. easy to convince yourself that there's nothing really going on. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm... Which I'm is nice to, in a way. Yeah, but well, also I think it's, so. um, it's a bit worrying. I think too. so. I mean, saying things like "we're all in this together" is something that I can't, I can't, with good conscience, really say because of, you know, the situations that a lot of people are in. You know, I'm just still sitting in bed eating cake, and other people mm. are, you know, boxed into a tiny flat and don't have any outdoor space and are overworked if they're key workers and are, are now dying obviously and bereaved and, you know yeah. there is there's some really horrible stuff going on um mm-hmm. and um and although everybody's life has sort of been turned upside well not turned upside down but it's just everyone's life has been put on pause hasn't it really it's um I'm, I'm i'm doing my best not to not to feel too aggrieved at the situation because it's um my personal situation, I mean, because I've actually got it a lot easier than, than, than many people. So, yeah, yeah, same, same I enjoy, for me. I'm enjoying it as such, as, as you know, I'm, I I'm sure many people aren't, but, um, you know, it could be a lot worse for me. Yeah, and that's good. You have to keep that perspective as well. Otherwise, you mm. can get lost in it. And that's when you become a bit of a bigot, like we were saying, like, oh, no, there's, there's nothing wrong. It's fine. I'm just going to go to the park and get the strong dark fruits out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway yeah. um moving on moving on from there 
I'm happy that I was able to get you onto the podcast after. Yeah, I... thanks for inviting me, mate. Yeah, no, it was, yeah, obviously. After I slid into those DMs. Yeah, very done, very expertly <laughs> done. But I've not been asked to do a podcast for a while. I've, I've, I've sort of had had some brief, not fame, but sort of brief attention <laughs> a couple of years ago, and I'm, I'm very much yesterday's news now. So it was actually quite flattering to get an invite onto a podcast. Well, let's bring you back to today's news, shall we? Yeah. Let's, let's give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, I mentioned um, your TEDx talk was uh, was quite a big inspiration for me. Because at the time Thank that you. I watched it, I was uh, I was not feeling too good. And in sort of true millennial fashion, I uh, went to the internet instantly and I thought there's going to be an instant fix. So I was probably typing things in like how to not be depressed and, yeah. um, you know, enter yeah. this competition to become carefree, all that yeah. sort of vibe. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I really liked your ability to talk about such deep issues in a way that was actually quite entertaining. Mm. And it made me realise that... Uh, even when I do feel awful, I don't have to lose my sense of humour completely. No, I think I it's really. If you, I think if, if you're yeah, that sort of person, I think it's like really that. important not to. Um, you know, it's it's a nebulous talking about mental health. There's no there's no rules to it, and I think the thing the thing I noticed because I became quite immersed in that in that whole world um, through through doing my my walk around the country, obviously to to doing the a tv program to doing that ted talk and, and everything um you know i was talking to a lot of people within within that sort of mental health space and the thing i was noticing most about it was um the i wasn't really identifying with with the language that people were using a lot of the time it, it felt a little um you know it, it was very kind and considerate but it was for me it was bordering on the a sort of almost mothering tone and there was no humor to it and there was no um I, there, it was no real sort of relatability to me other than of course the you know what people were, were describing and you can argue that to, to talk about mental health is a really serious subject and it shouldn't be laughed about but I, th I think if you're a naturally self-deprecating person and you you've, you've grown up and with with friends who take the piss out of each other and, and that sort of thing I think it's really important to incorporate who you are in, in your language when you're talking about mental health. And I wasn't seeing an awful lot of it. So I, I would, I, I feel like with, with, with my TED talk, I really tried to push, to push that, you know, I tried to mm. try to be funny. I mean, it came very naturally to me, obviously. Yeah. Funny guy can't be helped, but um, an entertainer. But I, I did. I did. <laughs> but there's a balance, isn't there? And and actually, I think I think there's it's a really good balance. I think people become more perceptive to to subject matter when it isn't all, um, you know, let's all sit down and, and face the chairs into the middle and turn the TV off and and talk very earnestly for for a little while about something. You know, people. You know, when I'm feeling really shitty, the last thing I want to do is is talk really seriously about it i'd rather someone make me laugh and just and in that moment i can sort of relax a little and i can go oh do you know what it really isn't that bad or, or i mean you know this is just for me you know people there's people out there with far far bigger more difficult to deal with mental health problems than i but you know i suppose yeah i don't know i i just i just i i think there's a space for that i think there's a space for um being able to talk about it while 
not sort of compromising a sort of jokey nature or 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 something i'm not sure is this kind of why i i really want to talk to you man because it sounds like this is your this is your whole approach as well yeah so the the idea sort of came in the in the same way that people talk about football in a variety of different fashions there's no mm. there's no linear way of talking about it if you want to talk about the philosophy of it and like the the strategy and like the the more formal side you can if you want to talk about the emotional side of football you can if you want to joke about players falling over and getting false red cards then you can um mm. and that's sort of what i want to try and translate into into mental health as well because um, yeah, I think, yeah i think it makes it makes it more accessible to to the people you know to the people who need it which is which is everybody you, you know it's the buzz buzz phrases and stuff like you know it's okay not to be okay and that kind of stuff yeah it it's it can speak to it can speak to some people on some level but to someone like me it didn't take long for that kind of that kind of wording to to seem a, a bit trite and a bit hello yes oh it's fine don't mind. do you know what i mean like, I, I, i'd much rather hear someone sort of keep it real you know yeah yeah um <laughs> yeah i know i know exactly what you I know exactly what you mean sometimes when you're feeling at your lowest mm. talking about it in a way that makes you seem like you're not a human um, yeah. for me just didn't work it made me feel lower um mm. whereas yeah like you said if i was able to joke about it with a select mm. group of people and I, I need to point out obviously not everyone can do that and that's fine no 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 um, it's more about it's not about being being funny with it and that that's going to be a good way for you to deal with it because if you're not that sort of if you're not that way inclined if you're not if you haven't grown up with a mum who's taken the piss out of you constantly and fat shamed you all all your life and and friends around you who would who would rather keep you out and make you get you more drunk than you need to be and have a big laugh about it the next day then then that's an approach you you know i've got a mate who um I mean, I've been thinking more and more about this in the last couple of years. It's it's almost why I sort of completely stepped away from the mental health space in some ways. You know, I don't, I'm nowhere near as active on social media as I was because I I, I thought I was in danger of um, annoying people, you know, annoying people whose whose approaches work for them, who who are very, you know, who who believe that like kind of outwardly kind and earnest and supportive messages that are um you know that are arguably kind of kind of one-dimensional if for me um you like know we, we, maybe, we, we maybe have a take slight issue with you know taking the piss out of myself and and using using words that that within the mental health space i've, I've heard people say you know you can't really say that anymore so like, oh, it's kind of funny if you say it in this sort of way and a friend of mine he I mean, he takes the place mercilessly out of me for being the face of depression, and uh, he thinks that I should I should have a. Uh, he, he said he wants me to bring out a perfume called Depression Pour Homme with a little razor blade at the bottom of the bottle, like how a how there's a worm at the bottom of a bottle of tequila. Do you know what I mean? That like you've got your head in your hand straight away, but it absolutely floored me. Mm. And um and you know if 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 it's done with love and if if you trust. The intentions of the person who's being like that with you—that's that's what's important, you know. I'm sure there's many people who would find that unbelievably offensive, but the fact that it came from a guy who I've known for for ten years and and who's had my back many times and who's 
you know, who, who was unbelievably loyal and a great, a great friend to me, then that on, on that day when he, he, he actually said that when I was in a really bad place and it absolutely floored me and it, and it brought me out of the funk that I was about to fall into. Mm. And, and you can't, you know, if, if, if something can have that effect on someone who goes through really, really, you know, fucking awful thoughts sometimes, which I do, you, you can't really, you can't really argue with it. I don't think, mm. you know, you can choose not to put it out there in case it offends other people, obviously, but to take it off the table completely is, is backwards for me. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's crack on to your, onto your story then. So <laughs> people may know you from a mind over marathon, which is on yeah. BBC. Was it like three years ago? About three years. Did you watch it? Uh, I didn't, which is annoying because yeah. it's also not available on iPlayer or anything no, like that. No, it's not. It's not anywhere. I keep trying to find it somewhere. Yeah. You're, you're, che- yeah. you're checking every day just to, yeah. just to see, <laughs> yeah, see if it's back up. Talk, when I have a look and see the TED, TED Talk um, views and stuff, I do. I spend about half an hour every day just seeing who's been on what and how many more views of stuff <laughs> I've had. So, yeah. <laughs> and I masturbate so, while I do it. <laughs> love me <laughs> um, okay so anyway go on mate sorry oh, i don't know how to bring you back from that <laughs> <laughs> sorry i've derailed it sorry yeah so you were saying you were saying what a brilliant job i did in my name marathon that's it yes but obviously yeah. prior to that you was on a and you was <laughs> you was in the midst of a, an enormous challenge in itself, weren't you? When you got picked up for that show, I don't yeah. really want to do it an injustice by explaining it. So, uh, if, so if you'd like to take the reins, that's exactly time. what I'm going to do. Okay. Easier for me, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, do you, do you want? I suppose it's best to just do the whole story in it. Um, okay, so I was. I was working in London. Um, I was running a bar in East London for for about a year, and and at that time, I I had been I'd been struggling with my mental health for a long time. Although at that time, I wouldn't have actually worded it like that. I don't think because I, mental health isn't something that I've really given any thought to. I I I'd noticed a pattern of behaviours and thoughts in myself over like my adult years, which I thought were completely my own and and was something that I didn't see anyone else really dealing with and is something I dealt with by sort of abusing abusing drugs and booze and 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 sort of just I don't know just very very bad life choices and um and in the end I uh I ended up with a, a mild substance abuse problem and uh uh suicidal ideation which lasted maybe for sort of a couple of weeks and in the end um it got to a point where i actually uh, i actually was gonna gonna take my own life so i managed to somehow manage to get out of it but just by speaking to speaking to my mum initially um which sort of brought me a day and then and then you know she she got me into therapy and then in the end, I got signed off work because I was, I was so ill, and I, I just had this kind of yeah. I just I just lost who I was basically. I just completely lost my way. I didn't think I had any personality left, didn't have anything at all, and um, spent a few sort of weeks licking my wounds at home. And then I can't remember whose idea it was. Probably my mum's actually. 
she was like, well, why, you know, you've got to do something with your days. So I go out and take the dog for a walk once a day. Just, you know, you know, I felt like I wasn't in control of any of my emotions at the time. So I wanted to give myself something that I was in control of. So I'm like, okay, I'll do that. That'll be my little job every day. I'll get myself off the sofa and I'll go out and do that. Mm. So I take the walk, dog for a walk every day. And, um, yeah, sort of over the coming weeks, I, I start to feel better and I, I put an awful lot of it down to just sort of being outside, being being immersed in nature and, and sort of moving my body and just breathing in fresh air, just all that great stuff you get from a long walk, I suppose. And because, because I noticed a real shift in my mental health after a point that I thought I was completely broken and, and there was going to be no returning from that. I was I was just sort of amazed at it really and thought, wow, like I how can it be this effective? You know, because obviously when I went into therapy, I, I'd learned a lot about depression and that sort of thing. And I sort of looked it all up in my own time. And um you know, I was becoming more sort of familiar with what it was all about and, and all that kind of stuff. And nowhere anywhere was what I was reading was saying, you know, go and take the dog for a walk nowadays and that, that will sort you right out um, but it was me and, and I just thought I don't know it was a weird sort of brainwave slash epiphany um, that just sort of fell out of the sky really and it was to to stay outside immersed in nature but to incorporate it in some kind of fundraising challenge type thing mm -hmm. and I just I thought about what I could do you know running marathon was one of the things I thought I could do do a big hike, um, you know, through the South Downs or something like that. But for some reason, I was, just, I was just thinking really, really grand, really, really big, something that could really sort of capture people's imaginations. So in the end, I decided that I would, um, I would sort of try and exhibit the most natural, be naturally beautiful parts of Britain um, and in a way to try and encourage other people to go outside and go walking and try and use what i'd used to, to sort of manage their mental health as well so i i decided to walk around britain via every national park so i just sort of circled them all on the map and just put a line through through you know what it was and then just all of a sudden there was this like this kind of big loop from brighton to brighton that incorporated seven, eight, nine—I can't remember now—national parks, and um, and that was that. And you know, I, I wasn't working at the time, and so I was having this—the this, irony of having like a really grand, sort of ridiculous idea when I started to feel better wasn't really lost on me, and I didn't really tell anyone about it for a while because I thought people, you know, mm. people would take the piss out of me and just kind of because it's not—it's not who I am really. I'm not—I'm not a adventure athlete by nature you know I, I don't do any of that you know I was a big big drinker big smoker big big sort of party type of vibe um and um so so yeah so it was it was a weird one it was a really weird one but I knew deep down that it was it was something I really had to do and something I really believed was was going to be a sort of turning point in my life and and be and be beneficial to others so I just I planned it meticulously and in the end told everyone about it, which is the perfect thing to do if you don't want to give yourself mm. enough thinking space to talk yourself out of a grand idea. Just start telling people I was doing it. Sort of made it happen. 
and then a couple of months after that after i'd done a bit of crowdfunding and um sort of got myself in relatively good shape and bought all the gear and everything i went down to brighton and started walking west towards towards southwest england and mm -hmm. yeah to cut a long story short it took me well, it took me six months to walk the first half and then because i was uh i sort of tried to you know try, um i was uh sort of putting out what's the fucking word I was just showing people what I was doing on social media. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, I was yeah. broadcasting like the whole thing, you know, with a mm -hmm. few, you know, using it as a platform to finally start talking about my mental health. And it was getting, it was getting, you know, some traction and it was really, it really seemed to be kind of inspiring people. And then after that first six months, I got approached by the BBC who asked me if I wanted to do this documentary about mental health, um, in which I would join a group of 10 other people nine other people and run London Marathon together with the, you know, under the guise of, you know, exercise is good for your mental health. And then once, you know, so six months of filming and then we ran the London Marathon. And then I, yeah, I got back to the walk and I did the second half of the walk. And thankfully by that time, obviously doing, being on the BBC, you know, I managed to amass a few, a bit of a bigger following. And then from there, the walk sort of took this new, unexpected term where it was more it became less about myself and more about people and um and how talking um and you know you know how everyone had a story and, and like i was staying with people a lot more people wanted to put me up people were recognizing me and buying me meals and stuff and they wanted to talk to me more about my mental health and theirs and it just made me real how what a huge you know hugely common thing this is you know if it doesn't if it if struggles with mental health doesn't affect you directly, it affects you indirectly. You know, the amount of people that would say, you know, my son's going through this or my mum went through this or, you know, my father committed suicide. You know, it was all, every day I was having these conversations in that second half of the walk when people were sort of recognising who I was. And so, yeah, the second half turned into this, I don't know, it just sort of turned into this, a, a look at Britain, you know, the people of Britain and, and hearing people's stories and um yeah oh god it feels so long ago now mm. but um but i mean you so know you were, I, go on uh so you were staying at different people's houses every night how were well you... the first half i was i was in my tent the first half i was sleeping in a tent and i'd walk 15 20 miles and then set up a tent and sleep there and then pack it all day the next day and, and carry on which i really enjoyed but you know once the novelty wore off it was just you know I kind of just felt like an organised homeless person. It was a bit <laughs> yeah. it, 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 that it, that existence in itself, as much as I believed in what I was doing, was kind of like depressing <laughs> mm. after a while. But the second half, I actually decided to, because of like the program I'd done and because it kind of awoke this passion that I still have for running, I I wanted to run at least a section of this this route around Britain. So when I got down to Edinburgh, I actually sent my pack home that had all my tent, sleeping bag, everything in it, and decided to run from Edinburgh to Brighton to the final 700 miles. And obviously, because I didn't have my tent or anything, I would have to stay with people along the way. So at the start yeah. of the week, I, I'd, I'd put out on social media, these are the towns I'm going to be running through. 
if anyone knows anyone who would be willing to put up a total stranger who's doing this thing, then then get in yeah. touch. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, Let us know if you want to put up this organised homeless person. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure, exactly. he'll be I've got anything. <laughs> I've got nothing to offer you. So, and I, I really smell as well. So, um, no, but I mean, it, it was it was amazing. I, I I kind of did a dry run when I got up to Inverness. I ran from Inverness to to John O'Groats. This is while I was still hiking, and that took me five days. And I thought, I'll do that. I'll put on social media, like, I'm going to be running this route right up to the top of Scotland. And it's so remote up there. I thought, if I can get a place to stay each night in those five days, anything south of Edinburgh should be an absolute piece of piss. So I did that. And within a couple of hours, I've got places to stay all along there. I stayed with some really amazing people. You know, it's, it's some real eccentrics, you know, so that, yeah, that part I, I was... of the country. I was gonna I say you obviously this... go on. Yeah, I was gonna say I was saving this guy called Charlie Chaplin, genuinely, in um, in in the Highlands, near, in a place called Tame, and he um, he lived in this farmhouse. He was an artist, and uh, he <laughs> he um, he had all this art all over the house and stuff, and he had a mannequin in every single room in the house, and all the mannequins had names. Yeah, very very <laughs> very bizarre, and he had the big big grow room. Yeah, big grew loads of weed he had this big grow room upstairs and it was like uh, <laughs> he came and picked me up and um you know because he, he gave me his, his postcode but it was like i had to go through a field in the dark by the time i got there so i called him up i was like oh i'm ready to be picked up and he came up and i got in his car and he was like yeah you're right mate yeah um i'll be with you i'll be fine in a minute i've just had a couple of buckets when i went home so but i'll, I'll be right with you when we get in <laughs> he was just completely out of it and we got back to his and um he was like do you want, do you want to have a split yeah, I think I think I do. And I had an absolute <laughs> a massive whitey in this guy's house, and then went up to to the room I was staying in and got in the bed. And I could, looked around to see where the mannequin was in that room, and there wasn't one in there, thankfully. And I sort of lay down and put the thing on, and I sort of looked in the corner. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck! And it was it was there. It was like a kind of stick down <laughs> mannequin like that that he'd angled towards the bed. This woman was sitting there looking like that. Really horrible. But no, it was it was really it was really amazing like those five days running up to John O'Groats and and then so yeah so when I got down to Edinburgh I just thought yeah that's that's what I want to do because you know as weird as everyone was not weird but as, as interesting <laughs> as everyone was along there we everyone the, the language people were using around mental health and the fact that everyone had something to say about it was was really interesting so mm. you know the, the amount of people that I stayed with in those five weeks could could easily constitute a you know, a, a sample size of, of the of the whole nation, really, and, and and out of every the thread that everyone had, that you know, was that they'd all been through something or knew someone who'd been through something, and that that kind of that kind of conversation, you stop thinking about where whether you're above or below these people in society. It's one of those one of those conversations that just seems to level the playing field, and yeah it's i found it so interesting and um and then yeah so yeah and so after uh, in february 2018 i got back to to brighton after running from edinburgh and yeah and that was it and i did my ted talk halfway through the walk as well oh i didn't yeah, know that yeah, I so, it was at the end no 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 so i did it while i was in uh i i actually couldn't have been further away from brighton so i did my ted talk at the, the dome in brighton 
and uh, I was in Inverness, which is the, the, the highest city in, in Britain. And I got, because I didn't have any money, you know, I was on such a tight budget. I had to get the National Express, which took 17 hours on, the, on, on a coach to get down to Brighton, got down there, did the TED talk, you know, Brighton Dome with 2,000 people there. Mm. And then when it was done, got the National Express back up and, and carried on with the walk. It was a really, a really bizarre time. Um, wow. <laughs> before before uh before um uh sorry i'll say it again before we get onto the ted talk uh whilst you were on the walk as you said you met some interesting individuals was mm. there many points where you found yourself in a situation and you thought fucking hell this is ridiculous or was oh, it mate. relatively smooth every few days to be fair like it, for the most part it was relatively smooth but it would it would all depend on what sort of mood i was in really you know, if I if I was in a situation that I found quite strange, and I was in a bad mood, I would I would think, "What the fuck is my life? What the fuck am I doing out here? I don't know this person. Whose whose couch is this? I don't know." Mm. Um, but if I was in a good mood, I would be thinking about the same sorts of things, but in a kind of you know, wow, I'm really living my life kind of way, which is really interesting in itself, actually. You know, I never I never. I always thought about the same types of things. It's just my perspective on what those things were changed with my mood. And as with many things that I sort of realized while I was out there, that being one of them, a lot of it comes down to, to perception. You know, we, we think about the same things a lot. You know, we think about ourselves and we think about our situations and our environments and everything. But, you know, how we're feeling in ourselves at the time dictates how we view those things in our lives and how we, and the things we view about ourselves and that sort of thing. Um, so although I never really ran into any kind of big problems, which you can say is a fucking miracle, really, for like spending a year walking around the country, there were definitely times where I, I, I felt like this is, you know, I'm in my 30s now and I really... Um, I don't have a job. I don't have anything. I'm just walking with a fucking rucksack on around. I haven't had a shower in seven days. What, what am I doing? Mm. Um, and sometimes that would get on top of me a little bit because I sort of feel like, you know, I should, I shouldn't, I should be worrying about a career now. Surely I should be. And then, you know, on a day where I was feeling good, you know, I'd feel slightly superior to people who were kind of on a career trajectory and were buying houses and stuff and just think, well, you, you, you suckers, like you are just being, yeah. and I'm out here in the wide, wide, you know, wide open world. Very interesting, you know, so I, I, I always, I was always thinking about the same sorts of things. It's just my perspective would change a lot. But no, in terms of, you know, sticky situations, etc. Um, it was, it was relatively plain sailing. I mean, even down to the weather, I got incredibly lucky for most of the time. You know, I did, there was a few times where, you know, in fact, the times where I really, really didn't like doing what I was doing were the days when the weather was bad. So walking all day and getting absolutely soaked through, trying to get, trying to set up a tent in the rain when you're soaked, and trying to keep the inside of your tent dry is is virtually impossible. So sleeping in a damp, wet tent in damp, wet clothes, and then waking up the next morning and putting damp, wet clothes back on to start walking again. I mean, those, those days were really tough, but, um, but no, in, in terms of, I mean, I suppose, you know, I'm, I'm privileged in many ways, you know, I'm, I'm a six foot man 
a six foot white man. Um, so I mean, I, I wasn't being, I didn't run into anything other than kind of kindness and trustworthy. I, I, feel, I feel like I was a sort of trustworthy person who wasn't really going to run into any problems or take, be taken advantage of in any way. I remember I, I was walking in, um, in Wales, I was walking the Pembrokeshire coastal path and I bumped into this girl who was, who was walking the, the Pembrokeshire coastal path for charity. It was like 186 miles or whatever. And I was just chatting to her and saying, you know, this is a fucking amazing lifestyle, isn't it? You know, you just walk all this way in the day and you set up your tent and it's really, and then you work. She was like, well, yeah, but you're a man. I'm a woman. If I walk for 15 miles a day and I set my tent up and then all of a sudden a man walks past walking his dog, I then have to pack my tent up and go and camp somewhere else. Mm. I was like, fuck, yeah, I didn't even think about that. So, so in many ways I was, you know, I'm the ideal candidate to do something like that. And, and as a result, I don't feel, I feel like I, I was never really going to run into that much trouble, but you know, I don't know. I don't know why, why I, I, by law of averages, I should have run into more trouble than I did, but mm -hmm. I feel like I was putting out enough positivity and doing it for a good enough reason and being able to reason with myself, my reasons for doing it often enough. The, the, the trouble that I ran into in the dark days I had really didn't matter much compared to, the you know to the to the good I, I felt like I was doing myself and 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 by proxy others as well. So um so yeah on the whole I'd say it was pretty I was pretty free of, of any kind of sort of tough situations and stuff really, which is mad to think really living in a tent for a year. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it is that it's such tiny things that change your your perspective on on everything really isn't it such as yeah you could you could get an hour's less sleep and the next day your attitude towards something that you loved previously can change completely um mm. did you find that that was like a, a big factor as you said your mood was changing quite a lot did you learn about how how your mood changed and how that would affect you yeah, I, I suppose so. I, I think I learned that feeling feeling stupid, feeling like I'd done something idiotic while I was out there was was a kind of shortcut to to frustration, which would then I would then turn inward onto myself with no one to sort of direct it at, and that would turn into you know a depressed feeling later on in the day. And I think a lot of that comes down to you know not feeling like. Uh, I don't know, like, uh, like I'm put together well, like my decision making should be good, you know, because I feel like I have, I have a certain level of intelligence and I should yeah. be, I should be able to figure these things out. And why am I making these, these big mistakes and stuff? And what does that say about me? And, you know, and just do what everyone does basically, you know, it makes me a crap person that I made that big mistake. And, you know, the fact that I did a few of those a few times because I just had n nothing to do but to think about the decisions that I had made and was making throughout the rest of the day. I was able to unpack them in a way that I, that I was unable to before. I mean, I knew I'd learned a bit about myself while I was away, but I never thought I'd be, you know, I, it would be on that sort of level where I was every day I'd sort of crack myself open and spill myself out and examine, mm. examine everything. Um, and as a result, I feel I feel like I do know myself a lot more than as a person. And um, and I'd say, if, if anything, like the thing that's, that's that's changed to me the most since since doing the walk is that I um, I contemplate my my reactions to things before before I I react to them now. 
<laughs> I slow the process right down. You know, if, if I feel like some, if something happens that's made, that's annoyed me or pissed me off or, or made me sad or whatever, rather than just feel the feeling and run away with that, you know, spend the day in bed or have a go at someone or whatever, I will, I will think, right, okay, why, why has that bothered me? Or it really, why has that bothered me? I mean, here's a good example, like getting on the bus, this is about a year ago, I got on the bus and the driver was just very, very rude, as a lot of them are. You know, and and I've been rude to before a lot of times, and yeah. and, it, and it's never really bothered me. But this this time, the, the guy, it, I don't think he really did much, but he really, really pissed me off. And I I felt about saying something, and I just thought, okay, just hang on a minute. And I went and sat down, and I thought, right, okay, why why did he bother? Why did that bother me so much? On a, on a different day, that wouldn't have bothered me. Why? And you know, and I I, I kind of put it down to you know, in that morning. Um, a few things that had happened that had kind of made me feel like I wasn't really in control of my life and, um, and you know, that I was a crap bloke and, and this sort of thing. And that I, uh, I didn't really know what I was doing with myself. And then, and then all of a sudden something happened where someone pushed me over into a kind of big emotion that was about to get away from me. And, and, and that would have been that, you know, I would have been, mm in a confrontational situation or I would have been in a situation where I, I was not in control of my emotions or whatever and to, and to give myself that mental space just for a couple of seconds to really think about why I was reacting the way I was reacting brought me back down it, it, it didn't just like kind of it wasn't like counting backwards from five when when you're angry it was more okay I'm annoyed at, I'm not annoyed at this guy I'm annoyed at myself because of how I reacted to these other things that happened in my morning. And, that, and I never used to do that. I always used to kind of just mm. either push it down, whatever feeling I was having, or blurt it out, whatever, and never really contemplate why I was feeling how I was feeling. Mm. And so to be, to, you know, being mindful of, of the, the process of emotionally reacting to things um, and unpacking it in, in a way, in that sort of way, was, was the main thing that I learned about myself by being away, for sure. Is that something that you've you've stuck with? Because I know for me, when I go for a walk, that is, if I go for a walk uh, in some in in like a nature space, is nature a word? It is now. <laughs> That's um, when you walk around naked, isn't it? Nature is. Nature is. Or a natural if I go space. To this yeah, na we'll go with nature is colony that I kind of go through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they love me there. Yeah. Absolutely love me. Um, that That's when I noticed that. Uh, I have to. Uh, that's when I remind myself that I am not always my thoughts. So you can have mm. thought. You can. You, you're able to able to detach yourself from it. And now, thanks to that, mm. my inner dialogue is quite. Um, it's quite constructive. I can sort of that's dumb good. down that part of my brain. But yeah, it, that's yeah. good, man. So, so is that so something what about that you've you? carried what, on? It's. I mean, you you must have. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming here, obviously, but you must have you must have kind of gone through or, or have been continued to go through something yourself to set this set this podcast up in in general. Mm -hmm. Have you, you know, have, have you managed to by talking to people and, and being more open? Have you, have you managed mm -hmm. to kind of start deconstructing your thoughts a little more? Oh, massively, yeah, yeah. massively. And do you and think seeing... that's helped? Oh yeah, without a doubt. And seeing how other people deal with their issues um mm -hmm. it's, it's that's been important but mm -hmm. also i'm very aware that i can quite easily grab onto like a, a bit of a fad so if someone says oh well i like you said i count down from five and that helps me 
I'll mm. be like, oh yeah, yeah, that that will work for me now as well. But mm. now I've sort of learned that that's not how it works. It's never linear. Um, yeah, I'm now my self talk. I'm able to get myself out of most situations that I get that um I get myself into internally. Mm-hmm. Um, which has been has been the biggest gift I could have uh, I could have gained from this. Yeah. And 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 do you think that's how much of that do you put down to just establishing an open dialogue? Yeah, I'd say a large part of it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But um, but I, I don't always want to talk about it. Like I don't really talk about these sort of things with my closest friends. I find it no, easier neither. to talk to um, not strangers but people I don't know that well, and mm-hmm. I find it easier to talk to them about this stuff. Because there's normally there's no bias there, there's no uh, expectation as to how you normally are when you're with these yeah. people. I um, think I think as well yeah. with, with that that's a really important point because it shows that there is still there is still a taboo there. You 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 know I imagine you're the same as me because I don't really talk to my friends about that deep stuff either because there's a mm. part of me that feels like. I have this outwardly very specific person that I've been projecting my whole life, and that's that's the me that people like, and and that version of me isn't a downer, isn't isn't a person that needs to be um, uh, sort of um, what's the word reassured, um, you know, who doesn't need emotional support an awful lot and i feel like if that part if, if the sort of outward projection of me has been compromised in any way there's there's a chance that my my friends who i value won't want to be my friends anymore yeah, yeah you know, know and, and it may, maybe not that black and white and you know when you say it like that it's obviously ridiculous when you say it out loud it's probably a good reason for saying it out loud um but there is that um you know although you know and it shouldn't be like that it should be the other way around you know the people that that, the friends in your life would you'd think be the people that would judge you the least and Mm. would and and would care about you the most and would therefore be the ideal people to to talk to about you know things that you're struggling with but you know on, on top of that as well you don't want your relationships with your friends to become this kind of ultra supportive very sort of earnest soft talking thing because if, yeah. if if your people people like you and I, I think, you know that those moment those those hours and, and events and and everything those that time the times you spend with your friends are, are the times where you we really want to get away from the sort yeah. of the storm storm in your own head and you don't want to to open up too much to them because you don't want a big part of your relationship with them to be, you know, how are you doing at the moment? I would much mm. rather sometimes from feeling like shit have them piss around and and. <sighs> you know and just be who they are around me so i can enjoy that and then i can deal with the other shit you know later so it's a weird one because it's a really fine line you know i I feel like as you know the men's mental health space is 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 an area that i've sort of been involved in a fair bit as well over the last couple of years and the big thing there is you know being being quiet around your friends and family and, and not choosing to open up because your masculinity gets compromised or or whatever and i don't think it's i don't think it's really about masculinity i, I think it's just more about my friendships my the, the type of friendships i have been compromised you know they work they work for me just because i don't want to talk to my friends about them doesn't mean that i'm afraid that i'm going to get judged by them it's that yeah. i don't want i don't want the relationship that, that gives me happiness 
to change and to be about me and to and to all of a sudden be this thing that um you know where where they have to check in with me every now and again and mm-hmm. i don't know i think for I, me my my mental health would be worse if i couldn't go to that group of people and get the piss taken out of me yeah same um yeah yeah absolutely and um and yeah so it's it's a it's a strange one it's a strange one because it, it feels like there's some quite contrasting ideas there you know be the freedom to 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 open up and you know men can be emotionally emotionally vulnerable and men can struggle and it doesn't compromise your masculinity so you need to talk to your friends like well what if those two things aren't they don't run parallel with each other you know you kind of there's a few a few ideas in in that one there and so i don't know i suppose talking about about it all a bit more kind of clears out for people but it's just you know it just goes to show that there's no there's no silver bullet there's no one phrase or no you know one piece of advice that can work for everybody you really have to be honest with yourself and think about what you need because there's no right and wrong answer the right answer is the thing that makes you happy or that makes you feel a bit more um content or accepting of 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 those sides yourself because i I've, i accept now that i'm always going to be going to have points where i'm really low and I think in accepting that, it makes the whole thing easier because I don't get as frustrated mm-hmm. with myself for feeling that way. And um, and in order to achieve, and you know, in order to achieve that, yeah, if I if I really wanted to be kind of shameless with with how I feel, and then you know, then I I talk to my friends about it more often. I think, but then you know, that for me, that would lead to to other problems like. Oh, I'm a real drag in this in this social group, or or I feel like I can't just call if if I get in touch with that person, they're going to think that I'm having a meltdown. They might not even pick up the phone to me, or mm-hmm. or whatever. So I'm I'm free wheeling here. I don't even know if what I'm saying is making sense right now, <laughs> mate. But no, um, no, I, I know I know what you mean. It's um, I've been common... about it for a while. It's a it's a a misconception, uh, in my opinion, that to to fix or not to fix but to improve your mental health mm. there's a set list of ways to to do so um mm. such as spending time with other people for me uh if i'm happy or i'm sad i'm I'm quite content on my own either way um a lot of people seem to think when you're feeling really low that's when you withdraw but mm. for me i can i can feel amazing um but i still enjoy my own, my own company so um i think that's that's a misconception just as yeah. as you say, you have to open up to to everyone. Um, yeah, you don't have to do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, it's you know, like I said at the start, it's it's just a nebulous. You can't judge mm. anyone for how how they're dealing with their problems. You know, if you if you notice behaviour in in someone you know is is affecting them badly, then then yeah, sure, like that's a, that's the time to question it. But you can't. I don't feel like you can. You can question people's um, coping strategies if it if it seems to be doing doing them. You know, uh, if it yeah. seems to be working for them. You know, so absolutely. Um, yeah. So before we talk about your TED talk, which I'd, I'd quite like to go over, okay. if they if they did a remake of Forrest Gump, would you be annoyed if you didn't get the call up? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I wouldn't be because there's this guy called Rob something. 
I can't remember his surname. His, his, his name on Instagram is Run Roblo Run. And he did, you know, in Forrest Gump, you know, where he does the running bit and they, there's, there's like a, a newsroom and they've got a route around America just there. And it's, it's only yeah. on screen for about two seconds. It's just like this kind of weird whale-shaped mm-hmm. thing. This guy who's, a, who's an endurance runner, obviously, anyway, he, he saw that and he was like, I don't know if that's actually possible because it's like 17,000 miles in the, the time frame they gave it. But he thought he might be able to do it if he, say, ran 40 or 50 miles a day. So he, he flew out to America and, and, he, and he did it. And he dressed as Forrest Gump with everything, let his beard grow and everything. And he did the actual route. It was serious, man. He was going to be oh, on my wow. podcast. He did the actual route from Forrest Gump. And uh, yeah, it took him, I can't remember how long it took him, but yeah, he was running like 55, 60 miles a day. You know, with the with full bubblegum shrimp hat and and big beard and everything, yeah, fucking absolute lunatic. So no, I, I wouldn't be annoyed if I didn't get it. I'd be annoyed if Rob didn't get it. But I, I get what, I get what you say. I only really had one Forrest Gump moment on on the whole walk actually, and that was when I got up to John O'Groats because I literally got to the top of Britain, and there was I ran out of land, so I just had to turn around mm. and start coming the other way, and that was yeah. the only time I really felt gumpish. Just kept on running. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so how did the TED talk come around? How I don't know how those sort of opportunities present themselves. Well, I thankfully, I mean, luckily, really, um, one of the people who works on, on TEDx Brighton is a friend of a friend who had um, who had seen uh, me me by proxy, you know, by being friends with this friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, my videos and stuff that I was I was posting from the walk and and then had seen Mind Over Marathon and, and had been kind of keeping abreast of my of my journey. So um, she got in touch and asked me if I if I'd be interested in, in doing a TED talk, which obviously is like a huge bucket list tick mm-hmm. for anybody. So I thought, well, you know, very very flat, obviously, um, and uh, and yeah, just like spoke. A little bit to her, and she said, "Okay, well, the curator will get in touch and um, just think about what your talk would be about, really. Um, obviously, it would be along the lines of mental health and maybe a little bit about your story, but you know, a good TED talk is about one specific thing, and mm-hmm. maybe think about what what yours would be about and how you'd do it." And so, uh, yeah, I, I gave it some real thought, and it actually came at a time where I was feeling really, really not great. Anyway, I. I was near, I was in Newcastle and a friend of mine back home had died uh, maybe a week or two before. Um, and, um, and obviously I, I, I couldn't be, I wasn't in Brighton, I wasn't around all my mates and, you know, I couldn't be part of that whole sort of grieving process where we all were sort of helping each other out. You know, I called them all individually and, you know, there's a, there a bit of shock and all that sort of thing. But, you know, I was all of a sudden just alone in the middle of nowhere and uh and sort of upset about my friend obviously but just sort of thinking about mortality and you know with no one to bounce bounce off i kind of ended up spiraling and it ended in this kind of weird weird funk and then when i actually got to newcastle i stayed with a friend of a friend and sort of old habits crept in there and I, i was sick of feeling the way i did so i suggested we get pissed up and get some gear in and and we got on it for three days and it just did me no good whatsoever. And so when I 
started, you know, when I eventually was like, okay, I need to fucking get out of here and started walking again. I sort of rediscovered um, sort of walking and, and the, the mental space it can give you of being in nature and stuff. And that's when I thought, okay, that's, that's a good thing to, to write my TED talk about. So, I mean, I was in a very fortunate position. Um, you're probably wondering why my TED talk was so good. And it's because I, I didn't have to work it around a job or, or anything like that. I was just in the yeah. middle of nowhere all day, every day, just talking into thin air and sort of writing it and rewriting it. And I just spent, it was just what I did all day, every day while I was walking. And so I was writing, writing it about what I was doing with no interruptions whatsoever. Um, so, so yeah, so I, obviously I pitched that, the idea that I, I'd had to, to the curator, Toby, and he got in touch a couple of weeks later and said, yeah, we, we'd love you to be involved. So I, uh, yeah, got up to Inverness and um, got the National Express down to Brighton, stayed there for two days, did the thing, and then, and then went back up and carried on with the walk. So it was a very, at the time it felt like the highest honour, you know, to, to actually mm. be, be able to get up and talk at, at such a prestigious event about, about myself and about what I'd been through and, um, and, and about something that had become a subject very close to my heart. It was, uh, yeah, it was a really, really humbling experience for sure. Mm -hmm. So obviously it's quite hard to prepare for something like that, especially when, like you said, you weren't based in one place, even though you said mm -hmm. that helped you, especially with TEDx talks, you obviously you're performing that to an audience but the yeah. online scope of a TEDx talk is massive. So was, did that sort of sit in the back of your head? It didn't at the time because I, at that point I would, I'd already done the TV program and I was already doing this big walk and I, and I was, I was getting, getting these offers to do things all around and I sort of adopted this yes man mentality where I would just mm. kind of go with everything and not say no to yeah. anything. And, 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 it, and I just sort of went with it, which, which was great because it, it relieved me of the, of what it all meant, the, the idea of what it all meant and being worried about the repercussions of anything. If I just, I just seemed to have this momentum. And so I was just saying yes to things and not really thinking about it. So no, when, when I actually did it, I, I didn't think about, um, you know, the online thing at all really. Um, but obviously since, since I did it, it's, it's, uh, what is it? A couple of, couple of million views now, I believe. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't I, mean, got, I don't know if I've got the figures here. But, Who's uh, counting? Yeah, well, I mean, when you check this cool, morning, what was it What was it on? A cool two mil, I think. We're on at the moment. Big time. Um, Big time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I mean, as, you know, it, it just speaks volumes about how how many people, like you know, like yourself, you know, you, you were in a really mm. dark place and you, you got online and your instinct was to, to hear the testimony of somewhere else, someone else, or to, mm -hmm. to, you know, there must have been a part of you that was like, I want, I just want to hear someone else articulate what it is I'm feeling because I haven't got a fucking clue. Yeah, that that brings me on to to my next question. Actually, you you had an absolute mic drop. Continuity. Mic drop. Excellent. Yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> you had a, an absolute <laughs> mic drop moment where you said, um, "Oh, what was the quote?" You said depression is the most inclusive club in the world, but its biggest trick is making you think you're the only member. Yeah. Um, just phew, mind blowing. Um, <laughs> uh, are you still deeply involved in that club now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or have I'm, you managed I'm, to I'm on, invoke I'm your membership? 
yeah, I'm on the board now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's uh, I, I, I stand by that. Is good, isn't it? That yeah, is bloody I forgot good. I said that's brilliant. Um, <laughs> that humble, I mean, yeah, <laughs> that is first class, isn't it? That is, that is the most profound thing I've ever heard. Did I really say that? Well, um, no, no, I, it, it's, it is, it is something I still struggle with, yeah, um, obviously, but it, it feels like it doesn't feel like I'm the only member anymore, which is mm. nice because that's a horrible feeling, and and you know, like I said at the start. When I when I did get radio, I didn't really know what mental health and depression was. These are things I'd obviously heard of loads, but I I'd sort of accepted or semi accepted the fact that I would I was forever to go on this sort of weird cycle of um, of confidence and no confidence. Like that's what mm. I thought I was living with. I thought there's there's going to be you know when I was on an upswing and feeling confident. I was like a really engaging um, person who I I liked, you know, I liked how I was socially. I liked how, you know, how proactive I was. I was just like a kind of the correct version of myself. And then other times I would be really withdrawn and not want to talk and, and lose my intelligence and my ability to make decisions and stuff. And I just thought I was trapped in this kind of cycle forever, you know, it, and, you know while at the same time was kind of hoping at some point i would just end up on an upswing and just and that would be that and i was just having to iron out the creases the idea that i was i was living with a fairly common set of mental health problems never entered my mind i just assumed mm. i did, there was this thing that, that that i was dealing with and i was dealing with it on my own um and so that's that's what you know that's where the idea of you know the revelation of realizing that everyone, you know, not everyone obviously, but a, a huge number of people go through their lives with this kind of weird cycle of feeling in control and then feeling like they're out of control and, and really struggling with that, you know, disparity of that was the kind of idea behind, you know, it, it, it feeling like a club where you're the only member, but it's actually this huge, huge thing. You know, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe it's a huge clubhouse where it's just all tiny cubicles and no one's aware that people are on either side of them. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but I definitely feel like it's, uh, it's still a very big inclusive club. I, I, yeah, I can see the, the other people in there now and it's, you know, mm -hmm. that's sad in, in some respects, but it's also, it's, it's there's a weird comfort in it as well you know to know yeah. that there's there's people going through what you're going through and, and who understand because that's feeling feeling alone in those in those really in those dark moments and those lonely moments you have is 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 what can turn people's lights out permanently you know because yeah. it's, it's a feeling that i wouldn't wish on anybody and um and you hear someone else talk about something like that like they know what you're talking about and for some reason i mean you can look into that however you want you know human beings are pattern you know our brains are pattern seeking machines and maybe it's just the fact that we like that we're hearing something that we can relate to or maybe it's more it's more human than that maybe it's like okay and you know i empathize with that person so therefore i'm able to empathize with myself and forgive myself for having those feelings because that person they they they're depressed. They this they sound like they know what I'm going through, and I quite like them. So yeah. maybe there's a bit of that in there as well, you know. Um, so yes, 
yes, I, I am, I'm still part of the club, but I, I don't feel like I'm the only member anymore. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Sure. Uh, okay, so as we, I'll, I'll, I'll begin to round this up soonish. We've been, uh, been waffling for quite a while, I think. Um, <laughs> lost track of time. Um, I like to always finish on a, a bit of positivity. So, um, uh, what about yourself? Are you most proud of at the moment? Um, what am I proud of? Probably two um, million views on YouTube. But... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've done that. Uh, what else can I show off about? Um, no, I, I'm I'm proud. Hmm, that's a really cool question. At the moment, I'm you know I'm I'm spent I've you know I spent the last four or five months with my partner in 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 Asia, and now we're back and. And we're around each other all the time, and um, and and I feel like we, as a result, we've kind of become this one, this one being, and and we've we, we are we are able to provide each other with emotional support and um, and uh, and be there for each other and do things for each other that kind of lift each other up. So my my part in that, you know, bringing her out of you know having the ability to bring her out of a, a bad feeling and bring her out of um feeling quite despondent with the current situation or life in general or how she feels in herself etc that's it, it's something that i um i feel like i've got got quite good at and i suppose i'm I'm quite proud of that at the moment you know mm. there's nothing else going on mate there's nothing else happening <laughs> is there so it's gonna have to be something like that like my behavior towards the per people i'm in isolation with is uh yeah. is what I'm proud of. <laughs> I mean it could have gone all it could have gone Pete Tong, but yeah, you know, it, it could didn't. Have done, man. So. It could have, like, yeah, I mean I'm I'm proud. I'm proud I haven't murdered her. Yeah. Yeah. I could say stuff. that. Have you got any uh any other projects coming up? <laughs> um have I got any projects coming up? No. I don't think so. More, more I, I, I have I have a couple of ideas for um you know, I really loved running from Edinburgh to Brighton and I and I loved that whole lifestyle and I loved doing it for something and I had this idea a little while back that I wanted to um, explore music and mental health specifically you know sort of alternative music I've always been into sort of punk and metal and all that kind of thing it's like a mm. huge um, I don't know it's like a huge subculture that's really removed from the mainstream and um, you know, people who don't identify, you know, people who are non-conformists who don't identify with a lot of mainstream culture, they have, they have this, this music to fall back on and it gives them a real sense of um, inclusivity and, um, and all that kind of thing. I, th I feel like that's a really cool thing to explore. And I, I wanted to kind of combine that with um, my love for running. So I wanted to run a tour behind a band that I like and and sort of do this big running challenge and while i was at every show kind of talk to people there about their mental health and what the music means to them and that kind of thing so that's that's been an idea i've had for for a long time now and um i actually wanted to do it this summer but everything's fucking cancelled mm. now isn't it so um that yeah. might have to might keep that on the back burner for now but it's definitely something that i think i want to i want to try and do at some point uh, i want to go book coming out Got a book. A book. You, finished you, you, you forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I've written a book um, and it's all about the walk and about mental health and everything. And uh, I've just just finished, well, I mean, about a month ago, I finished 
I finished it. I finished the, the, the manuscript. So it's, it's with the publisher now. It's with the editor. They're going to kind of edit it a little bit and then they're going to send it back to me. And so I'll probably do mm-hmm. a bit of tennis for a little while until we get the right thing. And then, you know, it was supposed to be later this year that it was going to come out, but I can't really say that for sure at the moment because of the, what's going on. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's something I've got coming up. Amazing stuff. All right. Yeah. I think we'll wrap it up there. I will post um, Jake's social media links in the description. Um, so, you know, you can go give him, give him some positive vibes on there, really fulfill that need he needs for attention online, as we all do. <laughs> um, Jake, amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the Football and Feelings podcast. Any final no words? Thank you for inviting me. It's been great fun. We haven't spoken about football once. That's fine. I mean, it's just it's just in the title, really. It just uh, buys me another audience sector. <laughs> okay, pleasure. Thank you, mate. No problem. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.